Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. What's up, Raider Nation? Matt Holder from Silver and Black Pride bringing you another Friday podcast. I've got your news, I've got your questions, and we're going over all that good stuff. And as a quick reminder to have your questions answered on the future show, either tweet them at me, adamholder95, or email them to sppquestions1 at gmail.com, adamholder95 on Twitter, sppquestions1 at gmail.com. All right, let's get started. I'll kick things off with a little preseason news, because who doesn't love the preseason, right? The Raiders are going to be playing in the very first game of the 2022 NFL season as them and the Jacksonville Jaguars have been selected by the NFL to play in this year's Hall of Fame game. As you might remember from a previous episode, legendary Raiders receiver Cliff Branch will be getting inducted in the Hall of Fame that weekend, as well as Richard Seymour, so there should be plenty of silver and black in Canton, Ohio this summer. Tony Baselli, the first draft pick of the Jacksonville Jaguars history, will also be receiving his gold jacket that weekend and will be the first Jaguar inducted hence the selection of these two teams. This also means that the Raiders will have one more preseason game and one more week of training camp than any other team in the league, well, besides the Jags, which is a big deal for a team that will be learning a completely new playbooks in the offseason. The Hall of Fame game will be on Thursday, August 4th in Canton, Ohio, and tickets go on sale on Friday at 10 a.m. Eastern, so they're likely already available by the time you're listening to this. While we're on the topic of the schedule, the NFL sent out a press release that the Arizona Cardinals, Green Bay Packers, Jacksonville Jaguars, New Orleans Saints, and Tampa Bay Buccaneers will host international games during the 2022 regular season. Both the Saints and Jaguars will be headed to the UK, as New Orleans will call Tottenham Hotspur Stadium home for one game, and Jacksonville will head to Wembley Stadium. The reason why I bring these two teams up is the Raiders are scheduled to play both the Saints and the Jaguars on the road this year, so, for all my European listeners, you might have a chance to catch a Raiders game in your own backyard this year. This also means that Las Vegas won't be giving up any home games this year, as I know some of you were concerned about that during when the NFL announced its plans to play in Germany. So, season ticket holders will still get their 8-9 regular season games, and the international division of Raider Nation might have an opportunity to watch the team play in person. A win-win if you ask me. I'll let you guys know when the league announces which road teams will head across the pond as well. While we're on the topic of league news as a whole, I'll get this one out of the way. The NFL and NFLPA announced on Thursday that they have agreed to suspend all aspects of the joint COVID-19 protocols effective immediately. This means no more testing or having to wear the tracking devices or mask mandates, provided that the latter isn't violating any state or local requirements. I'm sure everyone listening knows and remembers Carl Nassib's story about becoming the first openly gay active NFL player and about how he donated $100,000 to the Trevor Project after coming out. Well, the Raiders announced on Tuesday the 1st that they'll be matching Nassib's donation of $100,000 to the Trevor Project as well. The defensive end spoke about the Raiders' generosity and said, That was incredible. I never expected them to match it, and I think that was really beautiful for them to take that step to support me, support the Trevor Project, and it's not just writing another check. It matters who it comes from and what, what is meant behind it. And I also love that it's just keeping the conversation going and can further the movement. For those that don't remember, the Trevor Project aims to prevent suicide among LGBTQ youth. To learn more about the project and or if you'd like to join NASA and the Raiders and donate, head to thetrevorproject.org. 
It's been a little over a month since Josh McDaniels was announced as the Raiders' next head coach, and Derek Carr spoke publicly about his new boss for the first time late last week in an interview with the Las Vegas Review-Journal. They've been super awesome. They've been great, Carr said. I'm just looking forward to getting to know them. We're doing the whole business relationship thing, but hopefully we can get our families together and start getting to know each other and start building that unity that we had last year. At the NFL Combine this week, McDaniels reciprocated those comments for his quarterback by saying that he's enjoying getting a no car and that car will quote-unquote absolutely be the Raiders' starting quarterback for week one this season. New general manager Dave Ziegler also backed up McDaniels' statement in a separate interview. On a related note, McDaniels did say that the Raiders' brass are aware of Carr's expiring contract, but the coach said they have not engaged in contract extension talks with the quarterback just yet, despite reports that the team has prepared a discussion extension with Carr. Alright, this next piece isn't necessarily news, but I figured I'd go through a few free agency slash trade notes for you guys. It's ranking seasons in the athletic release is top 150 free agents and a handful of Raiders made the cut. Cornerback Casey Hayward came in at number 59, backup quarterback Marcus Mariota is 65, and defensive tackles Quentin Jefferson and Solomon Thomas at 100 and 134, respectively. Of those four, the ones I would prioritize if I'm Dave Ziegler are, in order, Hayward, Jefferson, Thomas, and Mariota. Pro Bowl cornerback James Bradbury's future with the New York Giants is in doubt, according to ESPN. Bradbury is expected to be a $21.9 million cap hit for the G-Men, and they would save about $12 million if they trade him, or $13.5 million by designating him as a post-June cut. Dan Duggan, who covers the Giants for The Athletic, tweeted that the consensus value for Bradbury is a third-round pick. The reason why I bring this up as Bradbury spent the last two seasons playing for the Raiders' new defensive coordinator Patrick Graham in New York, and the corner has put together some of the best years of his career under Graham's tutelage. Las Vegas could use another cornerback, so Bradbury's situation is one to monitor over the next few weeks. The Raiders did make one of their first free agent signings of the offseason this week, inking defensive tackle Andrew Billings to a currently undisclosed deal. Billings was a fourth-round pick out of Baylor back in 2016. He spent four seasons in Cincinnati before signing as a free agent with the Cleveland Browns in 2020. However, he opted out of the 2020 season due to the COVID-19 pandemic and played in just 72 snaps this past season before getting released in November by the Browns. Billings went on to join the Miami Dolphins and Kansas City Chiefs practice squad last year after getting released. The Baylor product is a stout run defender and should be the first of many new defensive tackles for the Silver and Black, seeing as they now have just two players under, under contract at the position. We have just two hirings to go over this week. Aaron Wilson of Pro Football Network reported on Wednesday that the Raiders are hiring Western Illinois defensive coordinator Matt Feeney as a defensive assistant. While Feeney is much younger, he, like McDaniels and Ziegler, played and coached at John Carroll University, which has now become somewhat of a coaching or front office pipeline for the Raiders, and Feeney eventually went on to become the linebackers coach and defensive coordinator at the University of Chattanooga before taking the same role at the University of Akron. Technically, Feeney never coached at Western Illinois as he was hired this offseason, but it appears that McDaniels and co. have pried him away from the fighting leathernecks before he could even coach a game. McDaniels also hired former Green Bay Packers special teams coach Maurice Drayton as an assistant special teams coach. Drayton has been in coaching since 1999 and broke in at his alma mater, the Citadel, before moving on to spend some time in the European Football League, the high school ranks, the FBS level in college, and the CFL. In 2016, he broke into the league as the Indianapolis Colts special teams coordinator and moved on to Green Bay in 2018 and has now been replaced by former Raiders and interim head coach Rich Visaccia. So, two more ads to the coaching staff with Feeney and Drayton as the staff starts to take shape and the news slows down on that front. Here we go. Question time. 
Another reminder to have your questions answered on a future show, either tweet them at me, adamholder95, or email them to sbpquestions1 at gmail.com. Number one, all right, this is a three-parter. How do you think the Raiders will fill out the QB depth chart? Do they pursue a late-round QB to fill the backup role or look to a journeyman who is familiar with uh, McDaniel's system like Brian Hoyer or Jacoby Brissett? I'll start with these two first and then move on to the third. Um, I think it's going to be the journeyman, and I think it's probably going to be one of the two guys that you named right there, either Brian Horry or, or Jacoby Brissett. Um, I know Brian Horry is a free agent, not 100% sure on Jacoby Brissett, but I definitely can see them bringing in Brian Horry, like you said, familiar with the system. And I think uh, with the Raiders' draft strategy this year, I think they have too many holes to really be spending mid or even late round picks on guys that are going to be backups or they know are going to be backups going into it, basically guys that they hope they never have to play. If they do look for... For a mid-round guy, the guy that I've kind of brought up a few times would be Bailey Zappi. He was a guy that broke all the records, broke all Joe Burrow's records at uh, Western Kentucky this year. Um, A guy that's super accurate, got kind of a noodle for an arm, but it's someone that I think could be a backup for a little bit and then maybe someone that they could develop or try and trade later. The other name that I would think of uh, would be maybe like a Carson Strong, but I'm not quite sure where the league feels on uh, on him right now. I know a lot of people are split. So if he does end up uh, being available in the mid-rounds, that would be the one name I look for. But again, I think they're probably going to look more to free agency for the backup quarterback spot. And I think Brian Hoyer makes a ton of sense and Jacoby Brissett too. So I would put my money on that route. Again, I just don't feel like the Raiders are in... Uh, um, a position to be using draft picks and be using a decently high capital one to get a decent backup quarterback um, with this draft class with how much uh, how many holes they have on their roster. And then the third part, are there any QBs worth a look that may fall into the UDFA pool? To be honest with you, if I name someone right now specifically that I think would be a UDFA, it'd be kind of just a pure guess that they could be a serviceable backup. Anyone that I think would be a, be a backup, I'd probably give a draftable grade on. So I can't give you a definitive answer on that one. The one name that I will throw out there that could be in that late round to UDFA range, I don't know where the league feels on him, would be Akeel Glass out of Alabama A&M, uh, HBU out there in Alabama. But he had a hell of a year this past year, been pretty notable um, the year before as well. He's a guy that I think is getting you know some buzz, but won't get drafted high or won't get drafted um uh, probably until day three, maybe he might sneak into the back of day two. Um, but he's definitely the guy that I would look out for if if there's going to be any name that we know of right now that, that could be a backup option and have a guy that could develop into a starter one day. So Akeel Glass is the best name I can give you. And I mean, to be honest with you, anybody else would kind of be more just of a guess and kind of not really worth your time at this point. Next up, how do you think the Raiders will prioritize position needs in free agency now that the staff is mostly set? I think I, I think I touched on this a little bit last week, but I think what the Raiders will do in free agency, since they're ultimately going to probably need two offensive linemen this uh, this offseason, no matter what way you slice it with Alex Leatherwood playing guard or tackle, I think they'll add one veteran offensive lineman in free agency. I think that's going to be a big priority for them. I felt like at times their youth on the offensive line became an issue with communications and setting protection and all that stuff. Part of that has to do with Andre Sen- Andre James being young at center, and then you know obviously the two guards going down in week one uh, or by week one. So I think they'll probably try and add a veteran um, to to give some leadership to that offensive line, um, whether that be a, a right tackle or a guard. I I will not sure or I'm, I don't even know if though the Raiders will be looking for a tackle if depending on what the plan is with Leatherwood. Uh, Josh McDaniels asked about that at the combine and didn't give much of an answer to be honest with you. 
Um, and then from there, I think they'll definitely add another defensive tackle. Like I kind of talked about at the top of the show. Well, for one, they've already added a defensive tackle, Andrew Billings, but they literally only have two under contract right now. And the other guy, I don't even remember his name. I believe PJ Johnson is his name. Um, I don't, he hasn't played in the NFL or he hasn't played a snap in the regular season. So I definitely think they're going to be addressing defensive tackle. And then the third priority is going to be cornerback. I'd like to move that up. Maybe some people might flip uh, offensive line and go offensive line with the draft and, and prioritize getting a, a veteran corner in there. But I think with those two needs to me in the trenches, I think those are going to be a little bit bigger. And I think those are going to be bigger priority, priorities for the Raiders this offseason uh, than a cornerback will. And then last, and I know I said this a while ago, and I hate myself for saying that I think the Raiders are going to go after free agents, uh, wide receiver and free agency. But now I'm definitely turning heel on that. I definitely think with the where they're at, the the wide receiver will be the lowest priority as far as free agency goes, especially with the cap space or the limited cap space that they're expected to have. And ultimately, I think this wide receiver's class is pretty deep, so I think they'll be able to find what they need in the draft. And I feel like those are the top four needs for the Raiders. Uh, I know some people have thrown linebacker in the mix. I don't think linebacker's as big of a deal. I think if they're going to address linebacker, I would go more draft on that route. Again, Raiders don't have a ton of money to play with. They got to think about contracts like Hunter Renfro and Max Crosby among a bunch of other people next year. So I really wouldn't expect much activity in free agency or at least any big splash deals. Um, and if they do, I think they're going to probably come from either offensive line or defensive tackle. So we're going to see somebody maybe in the trenches would be my, my guess. All right. Our last question here came in at the final hour. Do you think Chris Olave sub four three forty puts him out of range for the Raiders at number 22? So for anybody that missed it, Chris Olave ran a sub or an unofficial 426 at the uh, combine on Thursday night. Um, but the short answer to the question would just kind of be no. Um, I don't think it really changes much for him. I think with Chris Olave, everyone knew he was fast. Now, sub 43, okay, I don't know if everyone knew he was that fast. So I don't know how much that really changes expectations for him. I think it kind of just confirms what you already saw on the field. Now, again, Sub 4.3 is pretty damn impressive and maybe a little bit faster than some people expected. But I think when you start to get down that low into the, the low 4.3s and high 4.2s, I don't really know how much of a difference that makes. If you think about it, if a corner or an average corner or a good corner even runs a 4.4, the guy that runs the 4.3, uh, the low 4.3 is going to run past that 4.4 corner just as many times as the guy that runs the high 4.2s. So I think when you get to that speed, it's not that big of a difference. And I mean, go look at the guys that have run four in the four twos in the combine. It's not exactly a welcoming list of receivers. It's a lot of busts, a lot of guys that were just fast. Um, not to say that that's who Chris Olave is, but kind of my point being that when you get down to that level, I don't think the, the time matters as much. The one cop out I will say, or will give myself is I think if teams are, or were teams heading into the combine, were pretty even in deciding between a Chris Olave and a Jameson Williams, because Jameson Williams was expected to blow away the competition and be one of the fastest guys at the combine. Combine, And I mean, I saw people talking about him running to the four ones if uh, this year with this year's track, if he was, if he was able to run it this year. So I think if some team was between those two guys, Chris Olave and Jameson Williams, maybe now that you know that Olave's speed is basically the same or at least on par or world otherworldly like Jamison Williams is okay maybe now you go with Olave um, if you were picking ahead of the Raiders and uh, you were between those two guys because I think Olave is the more complete receiver I think he's a better route runner has better hands I will give Jamison Williams the advantage after the catch but it's not like Olave is bad after the catch either so I think if a team like 
was sitting at 18 or something like that, and maybe was between Williams and Olave. Okay, then yeah, maybe they they go with Olave now that the he they know he's basically just as fast as Williams, um, whereas that's Williams' biggest calling card. That would be the only thing that I think really pushes Olave up. But I think the 4-3 or the sub-4-3 is great for him. I think that's awesome. I, I'm excited about it because I really like Chris Olave. But again, we already knew he was fast. This just confirmed it. And I think everybody else in the league knew he was fast. So I don't know how much that really makes him rise. It's kind of one of those things where, again, just kind of went to the combine and confirmed what we already knew. All right, guys, that does it for this week. As always, follow Silver and Black Pride and follow me on Twitter, AdamHolder95. Rate, review, subscribe, and download wherever you listen to podcasts. And you know what? Drop some comments in the review section too. Love to hear feedback from you guys. Other than that, until next time.